Hello, everyone. My name is Jared Pilatus. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is actually my first podcast episode I've ever recorded. So hopefully it goes well and it's entertaining for you. I am going to be talking to you a little bit about spiritual trials. It may sound like a pretty vague episode topic, but I'm actually going to be going in a little bit more in depth on specifically trials that missionaries experience a lot and some questions that aren't exactly answered in a lot of places. So hopefully, no matter who you are, if you're a missionary yourself or just someone that's going through a hard time, which who in the world doesn't go through a hard time once in a while, hopefully I can offer some counsel and make those hardships more meaningful and maybe even a little bit more bearable. The first thing you guys are probably wondering is, who in the world is this guy? I feel like I need to introduce myself a little bit so that you understand where I'm coming from and so that a lot of the lessons that I learned and want to talk about today will make a little bit more sense. So my name is Jared Pilatus, and I'm a farm boy from Blackfoot, Idaho. I uh, grew up in a pretty big family. My siblings uh, harassed me all the time because I was the youngest of nine, but it was a, it was a pretty fun time. I learned a lot growing up on the farm, learning how to work hard and move pipe. Shout out to all my uh, other Idaho and farm friends out there. When I was called on a mission at the age of 18, I went to St. Louis, Missouri back in 2016 to 18. It was a great time, but there was a lot of difficult experiences I went through on my mission. Now, I'd really like to preface this with saying I absolutely know that I am not the only missionary who has ever had a hard time. In fact, I think that you were pretty crazy if you were a missionary and said that your mission was completely just happy. But I feel like I was really blessed to learn some things about my hardships that maybe we can talk about. Maybe we can have a little bit of discussion and it will remind you guys of some experiences you had and maybe make a little bit more sense out of what you went through. So back when I was in high school, I didn't really know much about depression. I didn't really know what it felt like, and I did not think that I had it, absolutely. But when I got out to the mission field, especially in my first couple of transfers, I just noticed that I was a lot more sad than most people seem to be. And I think the stress of the mission just seemed to really exacerbate it. All It just kind of progressively grew and grew until I was about nine months out and I couldn't get up in the morning. Each day, I would just lay in bed each morning when I'd wake up and think, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through today? The problem was is that all of my life, I just wanted to be a good missionary. I wanted to grow up, go on a mission, and move on for the rest of my life uh, having gained eternal blessings. But the problem was is that once I got out to the mission field, I was so afraid of being sent home early and having to face that kind of shame that I don't think I took care of myself the way I really needed to. So by the time I was nine months out and I still hadn't talked to my mission president like I should have, and I was not in a good place. So that brings me to why I'm writing this podcast. I was in a place called um, Lindell, Missouri, which is actually just downtown St. Louis. Um, It's a ward there. 
and while I was there, I, I, I just asked Heavenly Father, why are, why am I going through this? What, what can I do to help make this better? And I felt like I needed to write down some of the lessons I was learning and someday make a book out of what I was learning. So I am in the process of that right now. I've been writing down all the things I've been learning, but I decided that I'd go ahead and share some of my thoughts and feelings on a podcast to help out anybody out there that might be struggling, um, especially with with mental health issues. But just in general, these things will apply to anybody who's just struggling with their faith, who's going through some spiritual trial. It could really be applicable to missionaries and pre-missionaries who didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. I want to talk a lot about the hard truth about the mission field. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into some of the lessons I learned. So lesson number one, I decided to call it that they might know thee. It's the first chapter in the book. And um, I just want to let you guys know that lots of this podcast will honestly be about why we go through difficult things. Because once you're able to understand the the eternal reasons for for the Lord allowing you to suffer the way you are, then it really helps you submit to his will a lot more. And it also will make it more bearable and, and you'll you'll want to help him make the difference in you that you're trying to make and that he's trying to make. So this lesson came to me when I was still serving in Lindell. I had just kind of received the inspiration that I needed to write a book. Well, at the time, I was serving as a district leader to some pretty unique elders. One of them was was a deaf elder who was one of the most spiritual people I know. His companion, um, I'll leave his name anonymous uh, per usual reasons, uh, but let's call him uh, Elder Fink. So Elder Fink, he was a very, very diligent missionary at the beginning of his mission. But as he went on, he just became very, very discouraged about how perfect he felt like he needed to be. He felt like people were holding missionaries up to this high pedestal. And he was seeing some of the other missionaries in our mission perform up to that level that he felt like he needed to be at. He saw our APs and our zone leaders, and he just he said to me, he would call me almost every night because he needed to just kind of work through some of his feelings. He said to me, I just don't know why Heavenly Father doesn't want me to be like them. No matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I work, I just don't feel like I've been granted the blessing in this life to be a good person. And maybe you guys have felt like that. Have you ever compared yourself to other people and just thought, man, why does it seem so easy for them to to be so good? And why does it seem so hard for me? In fact, on the topic of comparison, which was a huge problem for me in the mission field, I um, I dug up a, a really neat little article. It's actually a, an excerpt from Jesus the Christ by James E. Talmadge, which I hope every missionary finds the time to to read while they're out there. This is talking about the parable of the talents. You guys will probably remember it's when the Lord, um, which is the Savior, 
ends up giving three of his servants talents, which are just a form of currency, and invites them to to do what they can with them, to increase them, so that when he comes back, um, they can have more. So this is um, quoting from James C. Talmadge. He says, The servants in this parable receive different amounts, every man according to his several ability. Here I want to pause. Have you ever wondered to yourself why in the world the Lord gave them different talents? Like, why didn't he just give them all three talents and uh, and call it good? And, and then he would have um, rewarded the ones who uh, who did what they could with it, and, and then he would uh, punish the ones who didn't. It says here, he gave them every man according to his several ability and equal diligence, though shown in one instance by great gain and in the other by small but proportionate increase is equally rewarded. Sometimes you have to kind of dissect what he's saying. In in other words, he's saying that even though they had different amounts, the Lord rewarded them the same. So why in the world did he give them different amounts? And it says, the servants, therefore, were the disciples, and more particularly the apostles, who, while of equal authority— through the ordination and the priesthood, were of varied ability, of diverse personality, and unequal generally in nature and in such accomplishments as would be called into service throughout their ministry. So, again, let's dissect this. It's saying that each of these people were given the talents that they were given, the abilities that they were given, because of who they were and what they needed to grow. Um, This is really well illustrated. If you guys have some time, go look up the poem, The Monument, from the book Charlie's Monument. It's a powerful illustration of this lesson. It says, I'll just read a small portion of it. God, before he sent his children to earth, gave each of them a very carefully selective, selected package of problems. These, he promised, smiling, are yours alone. No one else may have the blessings these problems will bring you, and only you have the special talents and abilities that will be needed to make these problems your servants. The Lord is saying that each of us has the talents and abilities that will most guarantee our likelihood of succeeding to the greatest degree possible in this life. The Lord, knowing the past, present, and future, He knows all things, knows who we have the potential to become. And He's going to give us the talents and abilities that will maximize the chance for us to receive that potential. For example, perhaps the Lord knew that the servant with five talents maybe would have been a little bit discouraged by only being given two talents, while the servant who had three talents maybe would have been a little overwhelmed by having been given five talents. And he would not, neither of them would have performed as good as they did. But the Lord just wanted to guarantee that, that 
he gave them the right amount of talents that would that would give them the best opportunity to do their best. So one night, Elder Fink and I were talking about about this, and and it actually became pretty emotional. He said, "I just don't even want to try anymore because I'm just so sick and tired of having to rely on the atonement." And if any of you have served a mission, then you'll understand what I'm about to say. This just a thought came to my head that I knew I, what I had to say. I just said, Elder Fink, you know what I think? I think that when we're all back together with Heavenly Father again, those people that are going to be happiest are going to be the ones that are closest to the Savior because they are the ones who had to rely on Him the most. The funny thing about this situation is that, man, don't you hear this over and over in the gospel that the the one that was forgiven the most is the one who loves the forgiver the most. <laughs> the problem is, is that when we're in the situation, we just don't believe it. We we can't really feel that that's the case. Um, and we wouldn't understand why Heavenly Father would allow us to suffer. What we just have to remember and keep in mind is that the Lord has sent us down here not to be perfect that repentance was the initial plan, not the backup plan. Um, I, I let, I pulled out my scriptures and read this verse to Elder Fink that night. And I said in John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is not being perfect. It's knowing someone that's perfect on a perfect level. That's kind of a little bit hard to wrap our heads around. So I have a little quote that I personally love from President Spencer W. Kimball. It says, there is a refining process that comes through suffering that we can't experience any other way than by suffering. We draw closer to him who gave his life that men might be. We feel a kinship that we have never felt before. He suffered more than we can ever imagine. But to the extent that we have suffered, somehow it seems to have the effect of drawing us closer to the divine, helps to purify our souls, and helps to purge out the things that are not pleasing in the sight of God. So, I just encouraged Elder Fink and I encourage all of you guys now that if you are just weighed down by the fact that you feel like you are very imperfect, in fact, the times when you're going through hardships and trials, those are the times when you probably will be like farthest away from perfect. When you're struggling with depression, you're not exactly <laughs> doing everything you should be. You're not thinking all the happy, positive thoughts that you should be. But that's not the point point is that Heavenly Father is trying to make a change in not just your behavior, but who you are. And that sometimes makes it sound ironic, but it makes it so that you can't behave the way that you want to. It's just too, the, the trial is too stretching. It's too strong. So that brings us to the second principle that I want to talk about today. Uh, this chapter of the book is called 
Hope in a Better World. I hope that most of you guys recognize that reference from the Book of Mormon. It comes from Ether chapter 12, verse 4, which says, Whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. What I think is unique about this verse is that it says that we should have hope for a better world and not for a better time of life, um, not for a different life, but for a better world. The reason why I bring this up is because I think that in order to push through our trials, in order to find that hope that will anchor our souls and that will carry us through the difficulties that we're going through, we need to see the good that is going to come in the future. The problem is, is that we might be tempted to think maybe next month I will be free of this. And so it'll be happy. Um, The sad truth is that that probably won't be the case because that better world won't come until there's a new world. Not until the Savior comes again not until we're all resurrected and back with him. The better world that we're looking for is one where we're able to receive all of God's eternal blessings, which may be really hard, but I think that there is a way that we can feel that hope swell in us each day. That comes from another scripture. This one is really close. It's in Moroni chapter 7, and it says, And what is it that ye shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that ye shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal, and this because of your faith in him, according to the promise. So the backstory behind this verse, when I was on my mission, I loved my mission president. He was a very powerful man, and he was really busy. One time I went to an interview with him, being very, very weighed down with everything that I was going through. And when we got in there, sat down, he, he, we started with prayer and we got started. And then he got a phone call from, I, I think it was someone important, probably a stake president or something. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, Elder, I have to take this. And he walked out. He was already behind schedule. And after, I think, five or six minutes on the phone when he came back in, I was, my interview was well overdone. And he just kind of said, oh, I'm so sorry, Elder. You, I, I don't have time to kind of finish up. But the neat thing was is that he had opened his scriptures right before he left to a verse that I just, it, it kind of just piqued my eye, my interest, and I went and looked at it. And the very question that I had was answered perfectly by that verse. I said, I, my question for him that day was, what do I have hope for in each day? How can I get through each day when I just feel so hopeless about how hard my life is? This verse, when we read it, we are very tempted to just think, oh yeah, life eternal when we're, when we're in the next life. But this can be applied every day. You can have the hope that the Savior is working a difference in you, working some change in you, that is bringing you closer to eternal life. 
eternal life, like we mentioned, is knowing who God is. And isn't that what we do every day? When we're turning to him in the scriptures and prayer, aren't we coming to know him just a little bit more? So this is what I mean by having hope for a better world. We can have hope that we will come to know him perfectly and that each day we are accomplishing just that. It won't come by us being more perfect. It won't come by us feeling happier, but there is a peace and a joy that can be experienced even amongst sorrow. I guess that brings me to the next point that I wanted to share is that joy is not exactly what we think it is. When I was on a mission, I always wondered why I wasn't feeling more joy. (laughs) Maybe you guys have felt the same way. But when I started studying up on it, I realized that joy wasn't didn't seem to be exactly synonymous with happiness. It took me a really, really long time to figure out what joy was. In fact, it was my depression that really helped me understand what it meant to feel joy. There was times, in fact, it was almost every day, that I'd go out to teach a lesson And on the bike ride there, I would just about burst into tears because of how heavy and down I was feeling. But once I was there teaching the lesson, right as I would walk in, I would feel this weird peace. And what confused me and what made me feel like I this wasn't joy was that I was still sad. I still felt that weight and I I still felt worried and afraid a little bit. But I felt peace. I think that that's really what joy is. Joy is knowing that you are right with God, that you are righteous down to the very basic being of your soul, that you are aligned with God's will in every way that you can. Because innately, as children of God, That's who we yearn to be inside. We yearn to be not just with God or like God because we admire him, but we yearn to be perfectly righteous because that is who we are destined to be. That is who we are. And those experiences will come to us a lot in this life. We'll be able to feel that peace that we're doing what's right, even when we feel sad even when we feel lonely. And that might seem a little bit strange. You're saying, Jared, that we just need to uh, to learn to suffer through our, our sufferings and, and just look for this weird peace. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think that there's unfortunately so many people who go to pray, they ask for help in their suffering, and they're so busy and so wrapped up in looking for the happiness that they that they want that they're not willing to feel that quiet peace that they're doing what's right another part to that yearning in our souls is a yearning to influence and bless others in fact the reason why the abrahamic covenant is such an incredible blessing is because the lord is promising abraham that he will have an eternal amount of people to bless. Endless posterity means an endless amount of people to love. 
which means an endless amount of joy. That's the next thing that we can have hope in. We can have hope that the trials that we're going through right now are actually preparing us to help and bless those in in our futures. It brings me a lot of hope just because, like we said, we all have a deep yearning to be a blessing and make an impact in other people's lives. And I honestly believe that this is Heavenly Father's greatest goal, is to turn us into the people that will make a powerful impact in the world, in this world, and then eternally in the world to come. I'd like to just kind of tell you where I learned this lesson. I actually learned this lesson when I was exactly 18 months out on my mission, and I was in the St. Louis Temple. And most temple experiences are very sacred, and I I share this with caution, but I know that you guys will will appreciate and respect what what happened. While waiting for the activities in the temple to commence, I was sitting there praying and asking Heavenly Father for some kind of direction, some kind of answer to why I was was going through all the hardships that I was going through. If you guys haven't caught on, I pretty much spent my entire mission asking Heavenly Father, why in the world are you putting me through this? And that's why I guess I, I've been blessed with some of the things I've learned. So while praying about this in the temple, I opened up the scriptures to a section of Doctrine and Covenants that talked about the extreme suffering of the saints. In fact, it was section 121, verse 3 that I had pulled up. It says, O Lord, how long shall they suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened towards them and thy bowels be moved with compassion towards them? (laughs) Just a little side note. I love my father-in-law. He, uh, the other day we were kind of, I don't know, whining, murmuring about some of the hard things that we're going through right now with this coronavirus quarantine. And he just says, man, I don't know what it would be like to be a pioneer. (laughs) We all just kind of laughed because we're just like, yeah, we're, we don't have anything to, to compare against those guys. They really had it hard. When I was in the temple and I read this, I I guess my mind was just kind of caught up in thinking about all the hard things they went through. They walked through frozen wastelands with footprints of blood behind them. They they crossed frozen rivers. They had to leave everything. Hundreds of people died. Their family members, their friends, they had to leave behind everything they loved. And I just thought, Heavenly Father, why didn't why didn't you help them more why why did they have to suffer so much and that's when this this idea came to me that i i heard it clear as day from the lord that if they had not suffered and gone through what they did then the church of jesus christ of latter day saints would not be as strong as it is today, it wouldn't be near as strong. And that just, man, that hit me that the Lord allows suffering, especially I could imagine towards the beginning of our lives, in order to facilitate a powerful personal influence later in our lives. 
some of the people who have made the greatest influences in life are those who have struggled the most when they were young. So that's my next encouragement, is that if you are feeling really weighed down by everything you're going through, just remember that you have hope that the Lord is doing this to bring you joy in this life and in the next, and to help you fulfill a greater purpose, to help you become someone. Your life is symbolically just like the early saints. You never know the good that your suffering is going to bring. The last thing that I want to bring up is, well, let me do this. Let me tell you about my next hardship on my mission. When I was about 17 months out, I was in a biking area called Lake St. Louis. It was freezing cold. It was at the beginning of January, and I was pretty excited to get into this new area. I had a new companion, and um, we were going to get to work. We went out the first day and just biked and biked and biked in the freezing cold. Well, the next day I woke up, and we started studying, and my face just kind of felt a little weird. It started to kind of tingle, and within the hour, I had lost all of the nerves in the right side of my face, and my face looked droopy, and it was pretty horrible. I couldn't suck on anything. I couldn't close my mouth all the way, and my eye, my eyeball had a, had a hard time focusing, and I definitely, I couldn't blink. And so my, I had to like tape my eyelid shut when I fell asleep each night. What had happened is I had contracted a, a, a rare virus out in the cold that ended up damaging my facial nerve five. And for six months, I didn't have any control over half of my face. It doesn't sound like super hard of a trial, but it, it turned out to be uh, a pretty difficult situation. The virus itself was like the flu and I was horribly weak and, um, and had a really rough first week. It didn't help that this was the first day that I was in the area and no one had met me. So everyone, <laughs> they looked at me pretty strange because they hadn't experienced what I was like before. And one of the things that got me through those days is I would listen to a talk by Elder Bednar. And he had this quote that I sometimes would just play over and over <laughs> again and, until I um, practically had it memorized. He said, he was actually quoting President Spencer W. Kimball. He said, all that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering toil and tribulation that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. I hope you pay attention to that really carefully. I want to repeat the last line. It is through sorrow and suffering, toil and trial, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. I mentioned this earlier, um, but the, the true changes that the Lord is trying to work in us really can only come through suffering. And the problem is 
when we don't believe this. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ operate that way. But when we feel like there's a different, a better way, then pride grows in our hearts and we start to reject the tutoring and and the the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us. In fact, maybe you guys will be able to relate to this next little uh, comment that I have. When I was in Moberly, Missouri, one of the other phrases that was on my mind all the time was, why is it that whenever I feel sad, I feel like I'm never going to be happy ever again, and I've never been happy in my whole life? It's almost like the littlest problems that come into our life that make us sad and break us down consume us and and sting so much worse than they should. The The reason why I feel like this is, and, and honestly, this is my opinion, I hope you guys understand that this whole podcast is very much based in scripture and, and uh, words of the prophets, but a lot of it is my personal opinion. I encourage you to analyze it rip it apart, take what you agree from it. But my opinion on this question is that I think that the Lord doesn't want us to suffer, but he knows we need to suffer. There's so many people who say uh, there's no such thing as divine temptation. There's uh, The Lord does not put hard things in our life. I agree. I don't think that there is such a thing as divine temptation, but I believe there is such a thing as divine allowance, that the Lord knows that the best way for us to learn is to allow us to suffer. That's exactly what he did with Job. Uh, He could have prevented the adversary from working on Job the way he did, but he didn't. He allowed it to happen because he knew that it would be the best way for Job to learn. So, With that in mind, I think that the Lord, when he knows we need to suffer in order to learn, he is going to allow it to really burn. The fires of affliction are very, very hot for a reason. It's because it would take a very, very long time for the iron to turn into steel if it was in an oven that wasn't hot enough. He wants to help you get through this difficult time as soon as possible so that he can help you grow and learn from it and get back to feeling the joy of mortality. So if when you're in the midst of of trials and you feel like it's burning so horribly, (laughs) it's so funny. I feel like I'm trying to comfort you guys with the idea of saying, just accept it, but The whole theme of this podcast is hopefully you guys understand that gaining a perspective like Heavenly Father's will help you endure all of these trials well and will help you find the peace and the joy that He can bring to your life the same way I had it. So I encourage you to take a step back and and just understand that you will feel joy again. You're going to feel like you've never felt joy before and you're never going to feel it again, but you will. In fact, I love a little quote from one of my favorite apostles. Joseph B. Worthland said, he, he talked about the law of compensation, and he promised that every tear of sorrow shed today will be compensated with hundreds of tears of rejoicing 
whether later in this life or in the next life. And I promise that that is true. In fact, another quote that I used to really carry deep in my heart was from a person whom I consider the master sufferer um, just below Joseph Smith and below Jesus Christ. I'm sure there's a lot of other great people um, who have suffered, but Neil A. Maxwell has so many powerful lessons in submitting to the Lord that apart from the the few sufferings that we understand he went through with cancer, I think that he must have gone through some horribly difficult situations in, in order to learn such powerful lessons. He said that we often forget that the cavity that adversity carves into our soul will eventually become the receptacle of joy in the future. And so I know that it's difficult in the moment, but if you can think, if you can find a way to thank the Lord for this opportunity to deepen your suffering so that he can fill it with even more joy in the future, that'll help you get through a lot better. I want to wrap up here with just a little quote from our favorite C.S. Lewis. Uh, You may have heard this in a conference a few years ago, quoted by Elder Renland. C.S. Lewis wrote that mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. The blessed we will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven. I believe that that is the piece of knowledge that the Savior holds on to and reminds himself anytime he has to allow one of his, his beloved children to suffer. He reminds himself that through the power of his redeeming atonement, he is going to turn all of their agony into a glory. I think that this might be one of the reasons why they call it the best two years usually. It's because the Lord allows you to retain all those beautiful gems of of happy moments and, and miracles while blessing you to learn and grow and then forget the pain of those difficult times. That doesn't make them any easier, but it's at least very comforting and much more of a reason to trust the Lord. In fact, the last chapter of the book it will be called Trust the Lord because, man, that's really all we can do. <laughs> that's the only thing that will be able to carry us through the difficulties and allow us to truly make the most out of the hardships that we go through. So I want to come full circle back to the story I was telling at the beginning of my mission when I was really struggling with depression about nine months out, I uh, had gotten to the point where I was on the brink of going home. And like I mentioned, this was a horribly difficult decision for me to make. I It was the last thing I wanted to do. It was the last thing I wanted to do is go home early. And I told the Lord that. I told him every day. I said, hey, I'm willing to come out here and serve you no matter how hard I have to work, no matter how difficult it is. I'm willing to serve just as long as you don't make me go home. But that brings me to the story of Abraham. You might have heard of 
the Abrahamic sacrifice or the Abrahamic covenant or the Abrahamic trial, whenever someone's referring to something that is a soul-wrenching sacrifice that the Lord is asking of you, Abraham, the one thing he wanted in life was to have a son of of his own blood that he could pass on his lineage and and that could receive the gospel uh, through him. The problem was, is that once he was blessed with that son, the only thing he ever wanted was to not lose it. And that's exactly what the Lord asked of him. Abraham was an incredibly righteous man. And I am sure that he told the Lord regularly, I will do whatever you would like. But I think that in the back of Abraham's heart, he was saying to himself, just not, just, just not my son. I can't give up my son. It was kind of like he was laying everything on the altar except Isaac. So that's what the Lord asked him. And you guys know how the story turns out. The Lord ends up not requiring the son's life for him, but he wants to know whether or not Abraham is really willing to give up everything, even the very thing that he most desires. The (laughs) sad thing is, is that most likely the Lord will ask that of you sometime in your life if he hasn't already, and he'll probably keep asking that of you. He asked that of me when I was in Lindell. I got to the point that I could barely even do missionary work anymore. I could barely get out of the apartment. And I came home one night, went to the bathroom because I didn't want my companion to see me cry. And I just knelt down and just started bawling. And I said, Heavenly Father, I am willing to do anything for you. And my heart just kind of broke, and I said, and if that means that you want me to go home early, no matter how hard it's going to be for me, no matter how miserable it's going to make me, okay, I'll do it. And the miracle of that experience was that that exact minute was when my depression got easier. That's exactly when I knew that I was going to be able to finish out the rest of my mission because I felt this powerful reassurance that I had done what was right, I had given up what I needed to give up, and that I was going to be blessed to finish my mission. The lesson behind this that I hope you guys learn is that the Lord wants to give you the greatest blessings that he has to offer. But in order to do so, he needs to ask for the greatest amount of sacrifice. You you get what you put in. So... Abraham, he was blessed with the Abrahamic covenant after he was willing to sacrifice everything. And I was blessed immeasurably. I felt my mission change that day. I knew that I was much closer to the Lord. I knew that he trusted me so much more to accomplish miracles for him because of what I had done. And that's what's going to happen to each of us as we submit to even the hardest things that the Lord is willing to put us through, he will bless us tenfold. So that's where I want to wrap up. I hope that these lessons have impacted you, that you're able to to reflect on them and, and hopefully take something out of this. What I'd like to do now is invite you that if you have learned anything today, think of people around you that could benefit from that knowledge. Someone who's really going through a hard time and either teach them yourself or uh, share this podcast with them and just let them know that 
this might have something in it for them. I also really like to hear from you guys. So if you have any lessons that you've learned from trials or hardships, then please reach out to me either through Facebook or on Twitter. Um, I would love to hear from you. And I just want to ask you guys, what have you learned today that you'd like to apply to the next trial that you're going through or maybe help somebody out who is feeling down? How can you encourage them to trust in the Lord, hope in a better world, and to remember that they are always coming closer to Him through these hard things? Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. God bless you. Thank you.